Welcome to Riverside Online. My name is Craig and I have the privilege of serving as an elder. If this is the very first time that you are joining us, a special welcome to you. I'm going to pray for us and then hand over to Steve as he brings the next part in the series of Nehemiah. God, again, we are just grateful to have this opportunity. We're aware of all the limitations and the difficulties that people are going throughout the whole world. Yet your gracious hand is upon us and we can still gather in some form, even just in homes. And we can still hear your word being preached. And so we ask that you would speak to us now in this moment. Amen. All right, so I want to start off right at the beginning by confessing to you that there are certain problems that I am very good at ignoring, especially if there are handyman type problems around the house. Um, my wife will tell you that I can kind of do these things, but I don't really enjoy them. And so maybe if I ignore them long enough, then everyone will start noticing them. So these are problems that I tend to under respond to. And then there are problems that I over respond to. Sometimes we call it making a mountain out of a molehill. See, sometimes I've had a full week or a tough week and I've got a few big things that I'm wrestling with and some problems I'm trying to solve. And sometimes a curveball comes along my way and maybe it's actually a tiny little curveball that requires two minutes of my attention, two minutes of my action, and I can get back to what I've been planning to do. But sometimes a tiny little curveball throws me into a tailspin. So sometimes I am overreacting and over-responding to problems. And then I like to think that when the real problems come my way, the big, heavy, weighty, critical problems that I respond to them with the right amount of urgency, the right amount of passion and vision. And maybe, yes, I am being very biased right now. And if you want to know the truth, perhaps ask my wife or the people who work with me. But we are in a series where we're looking at the book of Nehemiah where God is speaking to us about rebuilding the things that have been destroyed around us. Which by definition means we are surrounded by problems and today we're going to be empowered with regards to how we see those problems. So just a quick recap about the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jewish exile. He is in a foreign land. He hears about this horrible news about how things are going on at home. It breaks his heart. And so he gets down on his knees in prayer. He confesses his sin. He sees a big God. And then he acts encouraged by going to this pagan king and asking him for a number of things. He says, won't you let me go to my homeland and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? Number two, he says, won't to give me a military escort so that I can be protected along the way. And number three, he says, oh, and why don't you foot the bill for the whole building of the walls as well as for the house that I want to build down there. And Nehemiah says that because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. And so today we're picking up from where we left off last week and we're going to start off in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 11. When Nehemiah arrives in his hometown and he says this, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And there were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding on. 
And so Nehemiah's got his core team, a few trusted men, and he's going out to see for himself what the problems actually look like. Such a sobering moment. In my head as I read these verses, it reminds me of some of those period drama movie scenes where an army comes in and destroys one of these old villages and, and there's deaths and there's pillaging and there's people scrambling all over the show. And then the hero of the story comes in a few weeks or a few months later and he surveys the damage on a lone horse. And he is allowing his heart to be troubled, but he is also allowing his heart to become determined for whatever he has coming ahead of him. And that is exactly what Nehemiah is doing. Let's jump ahead to verse 17. So he's taken it all in. And then he says to the people, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Now, here's something you've got to understand. When we read the Bible, I mean, you can read the book of Nehemiah in about half an hour. And so we hear about the problem. We see Nehemiah respond. We see him rally the troops. We see him get the wall rebuilt. And we're like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And then we end our quiet time. This has been going on for 140 years. The city was destroyed 140 years before that. And God's people had been allowed to return back to the city for the previous 70 years. Nehemiah wasn't the first one to see the problems. Nehemiah wasn't the first person to realize that, man, the city needs to be rebuilt. So what's going on here? And yet God gives Nehemiah the mandate, the courage, the vision to do what no one else had done for 140 years. Now, as you and I do the same thing. As you and I take stock of the loss in our nation, in our economy, in our lives, in our businesses, even in our church, there are two eyes with which we can look at the very same problems. We can either look through the eyes of defeat or we can look through the eyes of God-given hope like Nehemiah. The eyes of defeat or the eyes of God-given hope. You see, if we look through the eyes of defeat, we can point out all the problems. We can come up with all the excuses and all the reasons why we haven't done what's needed to be done. And if we look at these people, or maybe at the problems around us, were the problems big? Yes. Were the excuses very real? Yes. But then you get Nehemiah, who looked at the very same problems with a different set of eyes. See, he wasn't just being an airheaded optimist. Slapping people on the back saying that everything's going to be okay. He wasn't slapping on some nice Christian easy phrases and just saying, well, God's in control, guys, we've got this. Nehemiah had a thorough understanding of the problems. He knew the challenges. Next week, we're going to learn about some of the opposition that God's people and Nehemiah had been experiencing and will continue to experience. So he knew the destruction, but God had given him something else. God had given him a burden, a vision, a plan, and a hope that is bigger than all the problems around him. Last week, I challenged you to come before God and become burdened with something for him and for his kingdom. 
as we as a family have had to journey with that particular passage of Nehemiah, we've had to put that into practice. Where we've had to realize, well, this is what God does. He burdens people. He prompts people. He positions people. He prepares people. And then he calls people to act. And so we've had to act on a number of things in faith, knowing exactly what God is doing. Because we need to live what we're preaching, right? But maybe you're struggling to get a sense of burden or a sense of purpose. Because all you can see, like Nehemiah's countrymen, is the problems. And maybe they're very real and very big and very hurtful problems. And so I'm not saying ignore it. What I am saying is pray that God would give you Nehemiah's eyes. Pray for a God-given hope, a God-given courage. Guys, praying about it may not make the problems go away. But praying about it may cause God to birth something in you. Something that inspires you when no one else is inspired. A plan may be birthed in you. A vision is birthed in you that allows you to move from prayer into action just like Nehemiah. But maybe that isn't the way it works out for you. Maybe you don't wake up with a huge vision, a huge burden, a huge plan. Maybe you wake up with a sense of what the next one step is. So what God is trusting you to do is to take that step. And then to continue with him and with his power to take the next single step. And maybe you don't know where you're going. Maybe you don't know how this is going to work out. But you're going to trust God for that step. And what you're going to realize is as you take those steps, you are going to see God's plan and God's burden and God's vision unfolding in and through your life. So there are two ways that we can survey the problems around us. Either with the eyes of defeat with the eyes of God-given, God-given hope. So Nehemiah says to the people in verse 18, he says, Well, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah wasn't just full of bravado. There was an evidence that God's hand was upon him. And he also told them what the king had said to me. There was evidence that other people had seen the hand of God upon them. And there's something about when God births a vision, when God gives a burden that invites other people to participate in this kingdom vision. Bianca will tell you that 12, 13 years ago, our church has been going for just over 10 years. 12, 13 years ago, we started to get burden and excited about the idea of church planting. Except for me, I had a big obstacle in my way. And in my opinion, the big obstacle was, number one, was me. All right? I saw myself as someone who didn't have what it took. I saw someone, myself as someone who didn't have the natural charisma, the natural leadership. I didn't have a commanding presence when I walked into a room. And for those reasons, I knew that if I tried in my own strength... Maybe this is a good thing. I would fail every single time. And so Bianca and I prayed. And we said, Lord, if you lead us to this, if you give us this burden and fulfill this burden, if you 
give us this vision. And if you lead us to take these steps, then we will follow you. And that is exactly what God did in our lives. He placed this burden on our hearts to plant a church where people who didn't have a home could find a home, where people could begin believing again that the church is God's plan A for the world, where there'd be life and truth and word and spirits, where we could be an established presence with a legacy for years to come. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon us, here we are 10 years into God's faithfulness and provision and power and grace. And so just like Nehemiah, I want to stand before you today, acknowledging some of the loss, acknowledging some of the challenges, acknowledging some of the obstacles, acknowledging some of our excuses. But I also want to say to you that I am 100% convinced that God is not yet done with us. How do I know that? Why do I have this divine hope? Because Jesus said, because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell or a coronavirus or an economic slump will not prevail against us. I am 100% convinced that the gracious hand of my God is upon us because Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. He calls us his bride and he says if we are rooted in him, not only will we produce his words, his promises, not only will we produce fruit in season when things are easy and when things are in plenty but we will also produce fruit out of season when we are in challenges and times of difficulty and so i want to invite you to say like these people did here in nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18 let us start rebuilding and there's something in me that's just hoping that there's amens going on around in all of our homes here in the south of johannesburg so i'm praying that god fills our hearts with a vision for his kingdom. And so yes. We're talking about his bride. His church. His body. And I just want to. Take this opportunity. To say. Guys. When we're talking about. God's vision for our lives. When it comes to his church. We're not talking about. As a consequence of the sermon. And you feeling maybe a little bit guilty. We're not talking about. Just going to church more regularly. God's vision for your life is not for you to attend a meeting that you don't really want to be at from hoppers 9 to 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, even if it is in your home and you can do it in your pajamas with your cup of coffee. That's not God's vision for your life. God's vision for your life is to be His church, to be His body, to see a great and mighty saving God, to be animated and empowered by His presence. There is this vertical of receiving grace and forgiveness and power from God, mission and purpose to go out into a hurting and broken world and there is a we the fact that we are in this together we are his body collective and God has a plan for you to live that out in this world and to do whatever it takes now I'm not going to read chapter 3 chapter 3 is one of those chapters that if you were reading it in your own quiet time you would probably skip ahead because it's filled with names you can't pronounce. You don't know who they are. You don't know why it's even in the Bible. 
But chapter 3 is pretty awesome. Let me tell you what's going on in chapter 3. Chapter 3 is telling you the story of how there was a family standing in front of this gate. And this family did whatever they could do to build this gate. Next to them was another family. And they were in charge of rebuilding this stretch of the wall. And they did everything that they could to build this stretch of the wall. And next to them was another family who was in charge of that part of the wall. And so it went all around the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, don't think that these people were all master builders. It tells us in this chapter that some of them were goldsmiths. Some of them were perfume makers. Some of them were priests. And yet every single one of them did whatever they could to see God's vision fulfilled in front of them. Now, as I think about how we are looking at our problems and our challenges, and we need to be involved in rebuilding God's vision for our time and in our place. I believe one of the many things that God is saying to his church, not just our church, churches around the world in this specific season, I believe he is challenging us about a consumer mindset to church, a consumer mindset to church. I want to differentiate that against a need mindset of church. Needs are, are good in the following way. God has given us certain needs. And God wants to provide the means either through good gifts or through himself to meet those needs. Some of those needs are not maybe good needs, but they are needs that are created through, through sin and through brokenness. And once again, we need to discover that God is the one who meets those needs. Throughout the Bible, we see God meeting the deep needs of his people. We see Jesus meeting the deep needs of his people, the needs they were aware of, the needs they were unaware of. And so part of our growth and our maturity is realizing we have needs that only God himself can satisfy until we're so convinced that the only one I need is him. As opposed to a consumer mentality of church where it's not about my needs, my important deep-seated needs. It's about my shallow needs, my likes, my preferences. And I believe that God is speaking to us about this. Now some of us started there. Some of us have joined a church and we've stayed there because we liked the vibe. We thought the preacher was cool. We thought the worship was cool. We liked the coffee. We liked the guy. We liked the girl. We had nothing better to do on the day. Whatever the case may be. Maybe we started dealing with our surface level needs with regards to God. But then what God is wanting to do is to move us from seeing him as the one who meets my needs for comfort and my surface level needs and help me realize I have far bigger, far eternal, more eternal needs in my life. And he wants to meet me there. And then I grow and I'm mature and I'm filled by him and I'm set out into this world to make a difference. But some of us didn't get moved along by God and we're still in the place of Seeing God as the one who must meet my superficial needs. I'm still a consumer Christian. And so when we hear a message, we're not thinking through the lens of what is God saying? How is God's word being preached and made applicable in my life? What is God calling me to repent of or to trust him for? What is his Holy Spirit wanting to do in me? No, we judge a sermon by how funny it was. Nothing wrong with humor. All right. I try to do it, don't do it very well. Nothing wrong with humor, nothing wrong with cool stories, but that's the side plate. That's the side course. The main course is God's powerful transformational word. Or we judge worship not by the fact that God is always, 
always, always worthy to be worshipped every second of every day for all eternity past to all eternity future. And that whether I've got an out-of-tune guitar or no instruments, whether I'm, I'm under a tree or whether I'm experiencing worship in the most excellent setting, God is worthy to be worshipped. But no, I judge worship by how it makes me feel. The vibes and the feels that it gives me. Whether I liked it. Whether I enjoyed it. And so now we enter this time of being online. Where if we've got a consumer mentality to church, it's never been easier to change the channel. It's never been easier to engage in worship from all over the world. Preaching that is way funnier, way better, way more impactful than my teaching. Now don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. I, in fact, I encourage you, saturate yourself with worship from other places and from other parts of the world. Saturate yourself with good podcasts and good books and good preaching. But God has placed you here, for those of you who are here with us, in the south of Johannesburg for a reason. God placed you here. God placed you in His body, Riverside Community Church. God wants to grow you here. God wants to nurture your faith here. God wants to send you from here. God wants you to be an active participant in this particular body, which increases the net productivity of this part of His body, the Church of Jesus Christ. And so He wants families. All around the entire perimeter of what he is doing. Rolling up their sleeves and doing whatever it takes to do what God has called us to do. And so my invitation to you is to see this bigger vision. And to become part of it. To become part of God's vision in his kingdom and to move from being a consumer to a contributor. So I know at this stage some of you are going to push back saying, Stephen, that's fine. Under normal conditions... You know, that's great. But right now, we're watching online. Right now, we're in lockdown. We're not even really allowed to be in other people's homes. Most ministries aren't functioning like they ordinarily would. What can I do? Well, I want to give you five thoughts for you that will help you continue to be a contributor, even during the season of Corona and lockdown. And so here's thought number one. Thought number one is stay rooted in word and worship. Stay rooted in word and worship. I believe one of the many reasons that God wants his people to gather at least once a week are so that once a week my vision is taken from my problems and the things of this world onto him. I start to see the fact that he is sovereign, that he is able. I start to realize once again that I am not on the throne, that he is the one that is on the throne. He is the one who has the power and he is the one that I've got to abide in in order to do anything fruitful in this world. That once a week, my heart is released in freedom to worship Him and to love Him and to receive love from Him and grace and mercy, to hear His Word, to receive His Holy Spirit. And there are other things that maybe we cannot do right now because there's always a we, there's always a togetherness to this. But at least for now, we can still do this. And so stay rooted in Word and worship. Number two, stay connected to community. I know the frustration. I know connecting on Zoom is not the same as connecting in a room. I know that many of us wish that we could actually just get together with one another, either as a church together or in our homes. But let me say this, that as hard as it is, 
community is worth fighting for. Even if you don't like the technology, even if you don't like the screen, community is worth fighting for. Guys, don't just aim for the vertical where we get God on our own, in our own little bubbles. That's kind of like the person who comes in the back door of the church late and leaves early. J.D. Gray calls them ninja Christians. No one ever sees them. Yes, there's a vertical, but let's continue to push into the horizontal. The, the fact that we're a we, the fact that there's a togetherness, the fact that we are a bunch of families and individuals on a journey of building what God is wanting to do around us. Don't let these weeks and these months and who knows how long this is going to go on for, become a season of drought where you are not connecting as the body of Christ. And so stay connected to community. These are relationships you need, and these are people who need you. Number three, stay inspired in prayer. I spoke about this two weeks ago, so I'm not going to say too much more about this now. But pray for God's vision for our church. Pray that it will take root in our hearts, in your hearts, in the hearts of his people. Pray that God would continue to bless us with his presence, with his power, that his gospel would go out. And yes, even now, even on, in lockdowns, and even though we're online, that God's kingdom would continue to advance, that we would continue to be on fire for his word and his fame. Pray that God would still get a hold of us and that we would see him and respond accordingly. Stay inspired in prayer. Number four, stay invested in enabling ministry. In a number of weeks time, we're going to have our GRM meeting where we're going to share just where we are as a church. And one of the things we're going to say, we'll give a bit more detail, is that God has been faithful to us. We've been able to continue doing ministry as a church. But one of the ways that we stay invested in anything is where our treasures go. We care about where our treasures go. We care about what we invest in. And so your investment enables ministry. Your investment enables growth. And yes, even during this lockdown season, your investment enables things to come to happen. You see, Nehemiah, yes, he prayed. And yes, God's gracious hand was upon him. But timber and bricks and mortar didn't just fall out from heaven. God moved the hearts of people, of benefactors. And he moved the hearts of his countrymen to do whatever it took to get the job done. And so we are praying for God's provision and God's investments. And his gracious hand is upon us. But he is going to do this by moving our hearts so that we are invested in enabling the ministry of what God is wanting to do here. Number five, number five, stay alert to opportunities. Maybe some of the ministries you were involved in, maybe they're not possible at all or in the same way. Maybe you're wondering, how can I be part of this? Here's my suggestion. Ask the Holy Spirit to alert you to possibilities and opportunities. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you can be a blessing to Riverside and how you can be a blessing as Riverside. I, I don't know how God's going to answer that prayer. Maybe some of it is going to be aimed towards the people of the church and maybe some of it is going to be aimed towards the people of the community. But pray for it today. Pray for it tomorrow. Pray for it the next day that the Holy Spirit alerts you to opportunities for you to be the church. And So how are we going to look at the challenges around us? Guys, we're not going to look at the challenges around us with eyes of defeat. We are going to look at the challenges around us with God 
given hope. Let me end off with this last thoughts, guys. Things may not be too great right now. But God has brought His church through far worse. God has kept His light shining through far darker times. And so whether we're looking at the book of Nehemiah or we're looking in the pages of history or we're looking at some of the dark nations where Christians are being persecuted just for believing in the name of Jesus, we have a divine hope and a confidence in the fact that Jesus will not let this light go out. And so for that reason, we have this hope, we have this confidence, and we want to move forward together doing whatever it takes to be part of God's vision for us. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that what would be ignited in our heart is so much more than a fading sense of, yes, this is exciting. I pray rather for a deeper deposit of your word, a deeper deposit for the reasons we can have hope, for the reality and the presence and the availability of your power, for the awareness that you are at work, that you have plans to include us in your work. So Father God, move us from eyes of defeat to eyes of divine hope, where we see what you see and we see as you see. Transform our eyes of our hearts and therefore God, transform our actions. Move us to invest in what you're doing in the ways that you have called us to do it. And even now in these difficult and dark times, may we see a brighter light and may we be a brighter light to the world around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.